in Ephesians 6, 16 and 17, it says this, above all, above, above all what? Above all this other armor that he told you to put on, meaning uh, soldiers have certain kind of boots, they have bulletproof vests today, well back then they had a breastplate, they had a, a their loins were girt around with something that they would put, you know, like their sword in. And so he goes through these, but equates each thing to a spiritual attitude and a spiritual activity. And so then after he talks about, you know, certain pieces of armor, he goes, he goes on to say, above all these. And above, in other words, these things are real important, but above this is it. In other words, if you're a policeman and you go out, you know, to work and you go to get in your patrol car, and uh, if you can only take a couple things, I would say above everything, bring a gun and bring bullets. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you had a choice between a bulletproof vest and a gun with bullets, what are you taking? I'm taking a gun. You're like, I'm taking a bulletproof vest. Then you're just target practice. You understand? I can at least hide behind a tree or a car or something and shoot, but you might as well run back and forth like, you know, one of those little target things, you know, because all you've got is a vest. You can't stop the threat. I can at least stop the threat. And so when he's saying this, he said, above all, he's telling us this is really important. So it says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Why? He said, because with it, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Let me tell you, the fiery darts of the wicked one, if you're not sure what they are, they're things like discouragement. They're things like failure. They're things like doubt, unbelief, and, you know, cloudy gloominess. All that stuff and not a bright future, those are fiery darts. They are not of God. Because most people know, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has good thoughts toward you. So when those bad are coming, we need to recognize that the shield of faith can quench all of them. Then he goes on to say, take the, after he said, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and then take the sword of the Spirit. And we talked about the helmet of salvation. It literally says in some translation, take for a helmet salvation. In other words, we get salvation when we receive the Lord. We're made brand new. But he said it now needs to become a helmet. And a helmet does what? It protects your feet. I'm just wondering who's paying attention today. No, it protects your head, right? And why? You know, I mean, have I don't know about you. Um, be careful I say this because, of course, I don't like the gory war movies, but they are cool and um but you know you always got that dumb guy you know what's going to happen to him he's in the foxhole bullets are flying he drops his helmet but he for some reason has to peek and inevitably he's gone because he peeks and bam and you're thinking what are you doing put your helmet on there's bullets flying why would you put a helmet on? There's bullets flying. Where, what does a helmet protect? It protects your head, your thinking, your mind, your brain. 
And so when he's talking about take for a helmet salvation, he's telling you to start thinking like you're saved, like you belong to God, like you've been made brand new, that you don't belong to yourself, that you are his possession, he watches out for you. Why? Because that area in your mind is going to get attacked. Are you with me? And, and in subtle ways. Like you're just not perfect today like you were the day before. And then the thought will come, would God even let you into heaven? Well, that's foolish. And that's why you need to make sure that helmet's in place. But then we've been looking at this part. And take the sword or the gun, the weapon of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we've looked at this in a little bit of detail when it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, he doesn't just mean take the Bible, but that word, Word of God, literally means spoken word. We looked at it in the Greek. It literally means take, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken Word of God. That tells us something that the Word of God spoken is an offensive or a weapon that will give you victory in life. Totally. We are born in the image of God. And when the world was full of darkness in the beginning, what did God start doing immediately? He started panicking. First thing he did was panic and said, I never saw this coming. No, he, he knew what was coming. But he started speaking and he said, light be. And it said, light came. And then he started speaking and things started happening. And we see this through the Bible. And here he's telling us he wants you to win out in life. And he said, you have to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. You know, and the question is this. If the word of God is, is so powerful in and of itself, we know that. Hebrews 4.12 says this, and maybe a familiar verse to some people. He said, the word of God. These truths that we can find in the Bible, he said, are living and they're powerful and they're sharper than any natural two-edged sword. They will cut so deep, they'll get in and start dealing with people's hearts and the issues of life. But they're so sharp and living and powerful. I mean, you know, you think about it. Uh, there are living things that people, you know, if they get loose, they can cause some problems like germs, you know, like scientists fool with things and uh, they're li living organisms and they contain them because they know if they got out into society, they would start spreading and getting into things and start affecting people who didn't know better and it would cause ill and effect because they're living organisms if they're turned loose. And he said the word of God is a living thing. It's full of life and ability. And if it gets turned loose, it'll start spreading too. You with me? It will. The Bible says that His Word is alive. It's a living thing. Living things do stuff. And He said the Word will prevail and grow. And so the Word is living and powerful, and we know that from that verse but it also tells us other things about the Word of God. The Bible said in Romans 1, Paul was preaching there, and he said that the gospel 
is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So you can see the Word of God is living and powerful in and of itself. There's more power in this book than any problem or anything any man ever alive, past, present, or future will ever face. It's right here. I mean, it's right in these pages. But how many of you know that being in the pages alone will do little or nothing? I know people don't like that, but it's a fact. Because if if it was that just in this book, the power was just like radioactive, like this was nuclear waste, and, and or something nuclear, we put lead around it just to stop it from coming out, you know, just of itself, then, then the key would be get, get a Bible and while you're watching TV, sit on it. When you go to bed, lay on it. Or here would be a great thing. Let's just take when they build the prisons, you know, and they build those concrete walls so that nobody can escape. Let's just, let's, let's call the Gideons. They got a lot of Bibles. They just leave them in hotel rooms. Let's just put them in the cement wall and all the walls around every prison cell, will that do anything? No. But, but in the wall, there are words written that are more powerful than nu- nuclear bomb. It would be similar to this. What if, we, if you found out in your walls of your house somebody, you know, had a bunch of money, and when they built a home, they thought, I'm going to hide, you know, I've got a hundred gold coins. You know, they're an ounce each, a hundred of them. And they, they hide them in the wall, and you find out, or you don't find out, or you do find out, you know, it's, what, about $1,300 an ounce? You know, you've got $130,000 sitting in the wall. You know where it is. Does it do anything for you? Nope. But is it of great value? Could it do something for you? Absolutely. So the Word of God is way beyond. What you need to do is you just need to dig in that wall. And I guarantee you for $130,000 I'm poking some holes. I guarantee you, you could tear all the drywall off on the inside of your house and it wouldn't cost you, you know, that much to put back. Right? I mean, if you knew you had a thousand gold coins, you know, you're talking a million dollars, million three hundred. I'd be having a party today and I'd be buying a bunch of you hammers and saying, come on over. You can poke holes in my wall. You ever felt like doing that? Go ahead. Now, you don't get to keep anything, but you just poke all the holes you want to because I'm looking for something. And when I find it, I'm going to kick you out and say, you're done poking holes in the wall. (laughs) I got something to do. What? What am I saying? There is value in certain things, but they have to be dug up or found. You know, the Bible said this in Psalm 119, 162. It says, the psalmist in, in Psalm 119, it's the biggest book or, you know, in the Bible. And it's all about the Bible or the words of God. And that verse in 162 said, I rejoiced at your word as one who found a great spoil. Well, we don't use that, you know, like, you know, I found a steak. I'd been out of town, came home, I opened up my refrigerator, thought I'm going to cook a steak. I pulled it out, turned on the barbecue, and I had found a great spoil. I was like, 
that smells not like an egg. I mean, more like an egg than a steak. I think I'll go get something for dinner. I had found something. That's not the kind of spoil he's talking about, like, oh, the Word of God. No. A spoil was a treasure. And he said, I rejoice that your Word is one who found a great spoil or a great treasure. But here's the big thing about treasures, no matter what, is you can have the treasure, but for it to work, you got to spend it. Right? We've all heard those stories, you know, one of the famous preachers from a couple hundred years ago who had worked with street people, and uh, there was a man that uh, he had visited regularly, and there are two different stories like this, and uh, one was as he was working actually with this one lady, because there was one with a man who died with enough money that he could have lived in a, an apartment and been totally set, but this other lady this guy had been working uh, with, and she lived in abject poverty, and uh, he, uh, she did have a little tiny shack type of thing, and he would go and help and give her stuff, and one day they were talking, and he noticed this framed picture, uh, this certificate, and, um, and uh, she, he asked, what is that? And he said, oh, I used to work for the, the the queen years and years and years and years ago, and she gave me that when I, when I left. And he said, would you mind if I took that? And, uh, and I'll bring it back. She said, oh, it's so important. I kind of don't want you to. He said, listen, I'll bring it back to you. You know me now. Took it, found out it was, was an authentic document that a number of the servants that had worked through many years with the, the king and the queen in England had gotten them. There might have been a half dozen of them, maybe a little bit more. And uh, they had been searching for this person and haven't been able to find this person living in abject poverty. What it was was a certificate so that that person could be supported by the government and live rent-free in a better place than she was currently living in, have everything taken care of. It was betrothed to her through the king and queen. She had the ability. She just wasn't functioning in it. Here she is starving, maybe cold in the winters and hot in the summer, and now she could have a place where she could have a fire and different things like that. And so the Word of God is very similar. Why is the Word get us results or not get us results? Well, if it's the spoken Word of God, then what we need to do is act like it's a treasure and start digging. I mean digging, opening up your Bible yourself and start finding stuff in there that, that talks about you. And, and don't go find the one where Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself. And think about that. No, there's stuff in there, hundreds of verses that tell us who and what we are and what we have because what Christ bought and paid for. But even once you find it, you need to spend it. And turn with me to Luke's gospel. You with me? Luke's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Actually, before we do, let's go to Hebrews 13. Go the other way, to the back. Hebrews 13. And we're going to look at a couple verses here, and then, um, then we'll go back to Luke, I believe. 
And here's what's so important is there's so many verses like this in the Bible. There almost at some point needs to be an emphasis about us saying something. Because many failures come because of what we do or do not say and what we do or do not express in God. And uh, Hebrews, the 13th chapter, says this in the fifth verse. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. What does that mean? In other words, don't let your life just be selfish trying to obtain. Just trying to be coveting and get what other people have and get certain things. He said, be content with such things as you have. Now, you understand this. There are tons of scriptures that tell us God wants us to prosper. Bunches of them, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything that the Gentiles seek will then be added to your life. But what he's trying to do is get us to have the right motive when we do it. Because covetousness is what God does not want, right? The Bible, most people are familiar with this verse. Money is the root of all evil. But it doesn't say that. It says the love of money. So you can be poor and have the love of money or rich and have the love of money. Or you can be rich and not love money or poor and not love money. It's a, what he was trying to do is say... Don't have that motive of selfishness. Because if you read after in Timothy where he said the love of money is the root of all evil, he said for those who covet after it, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. If money is your God, you will pierce yourself through with many sorrows. If God is your God, he will bless your life. But there are warnings in the Old Testament. He said, he said, when God prospers you, do not forget him. Why would he tell you and warn you? Because he said, I'll do it if you follow me and keep me first. But the problem is people get their eyes off of God, get their eyes on the stuff they've got now, their, their, their toys and all the other stuff, and they get distracted. And then they want more of that. Our motives have to be right. We need to keep God first. We need to make Him the object of our life, and He'll add things. And that's all He's saying here, because when we read on, you're going to see He wants to be heavily involved in your life. In every aspect. Not just finances, but I mean every area of your life. Notice, let your conduct be without covetous. Be content with such things as you have. Learn to be content where you are right now. That doesn't mean you have to stay there. Just be content. Because if you're not content, you'll be covetous. Right? So whether you've got a million dollars, be content. That doesn't mean you can't have two million. That doesn't mean you can't have five million. Abraham was content. But everything he set his hand to, the Bible said, began to prosper. Why? He kept God first in his life. Those warnings to Abraham were, you keep me first and I'll keep adding stuff to your life. But he stayed out of covetousness. Look at his life. How many times did Abraham get the raw end of the deal? Again and again. But out of every single one, he kept going higher and higher because he wasn't covetous. Matter of fact, there was a time when land was to be divided. It was his inheritance. He let his family member tag along with him. 
And uh, when it came time, Lot said, I want that land. Abraham said, all right, it was a better land. I'll take that land. The land Abraham took prospered. Lot's land, not so much. You with me? And then Abraham, out of that, his land was blessed. Same thing when cattle were divided, different things. God blessed Abraham, but it wasn't because he was covetous. It was because he put God first. And so when he's talking about this, he said, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, this is why you need to be content. And not feel like you have to scrap to make it happen. Now, you work and do those things, right? But here's why. You can't disconnect the first part of this verse from the second part. For he himself has said something. He said, I will never leave you. And, or mine says, nor, or and, or forsake you. Those are two huge, huge things you need to know. He said, I'll never leave you, and then I won't forsake you. Because here's the thing. Haven't we all had somebody who said, I won't leave you, and they didn't leave you, but when you got into trouble, they didn't help you. But he said, not only will I be with you in trouble... You know, there's other verses that said, I will be with you in trouble and I will exalt you. So you say, well, I'm in trouble. Watch out. Because he'll work to exalt you, get you up out of it. But notice here, he won't leave you and he won't forsake you. In other words, he won't let you down so that, knowing this, so that we may boldly say, What is it we're supposed to boldly say? The only way you're going to be able to boldly say if you know these two things, not only is He with you, He's going to help you. There's a big difference. With and help. With and work with. With, be involved and do something good. So no wonder He said you can be content. Because He's not only with you, He's going to help you. You know, people who think, well, you know, it's just God's will for me not to have stuff and, you know, things like that, you know. I can't wait to get to heaven because, you know, I'll have a mansion. Well, wait a minute. If it's his God's, God's will for you to be blessed in heaven, then, but it's not his will for you to be blessed here? Didn't he say when the disciples, you know, in Luke 11 said, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples and the Pharisees and those ones taught their disciples how to pray. Teach us how to pray. They realized different, different people were praying different ways. So, so Jesus said, all right, I'll teach you. Here's what you do. You say, our Father. In other words, who's in heaven? Not just your natural one. It's not about your natural Father. He said, holy is your name. Lift him up in worship. He said, your, he said, you know, after he said that, then say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth like it's being done in heaven. That solves a lot of theology right there. How is it in heaven? 
Well, you know, depending where you live, if you live in the ghettos of heaven, it's really depressing. Some neighborhoods are better than others, you know. You could be in a condo, because remember Jesus said in John 14, in my, he said, don't be troubled, I'm going away. He said, he said now I'm going to come back and receive you under myself. And he said, don't, don't be bothered. He said, in my Father's house are many condos. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a condo, possibly a duplex. How many of you dream like heavens like that? Nobody ever does. Well, I just if I have a little shack down by a creek by the river of life, I'll be in business. He never qualified different neighborhoods of, well, condos, townhomes, you know, duplexes, apartments. He didn't say any of that. All he said was, he said, there's many mansions there, and I'm going to prepare one for you. And, but another place said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would God, who's good, want the devil's kids to be blessed, but not his own kid? And so what has happened, because we don't know better, we have boldly said the wrong thing. We have boldly said the wrong thing. Instead of realizing when he said, be content, why? Because God's going to help you automatically. No, does gold automatically help you? No. Does the Bible automatically help you? No. But if you take it and spend it, it will help. I mean, think about it. There are people who are hungry to know how to be born again in places in the world. They just don't have a Bible. But when the Bible is presented to them, they know, but are they saved? No, not until they believe it and call. And when they boldly say, their whole life will be changed. So the treasure and the value is in the Word, but we got to dig ourselves. Somebody said, I'm busy. How busy are you? You know, I was talking to Pastor Linda about something somebody had said one time. And, uh, you know, the Bible said, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. And so this person had told Pastor Linda, you know, who had a responsibility, you know, I was just busy and I just, I just you know, and they were kind of lazy about it and stuff like that. And she was so much more graceful, graceful than me. So if you want that mercy, go to her. If you want the truth, come to me. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. And uh, she said, she said the person said, well, I'm just busy and this and stuff like that. I said, you know what's interesting is the Bible said whatever we do, we're to do it as unto the Lord. What if you would have said, now take those words you said to me and now go say them to the Lord because you're supposed to be doing it unto the Lord. Well, Lord, you know, I was just busy. I just was too caught up and I was, wait a minute. If we're to do everything as unto the Lord, then be careful what you say to people about the things of the Lord because really you might as well talk to the Lord like that. Oh, that went over real well. But there's a truth in that because if we've got the goods here, then we should dig. I said we should dig, right? And find them because whatever we do, we should do it like we're doing it under the Lord because He'll let you, whatever you find, you can spend. Whatever measure you use, He said it'll be measured right back to you. 
If you get a big shovel and start digging in there, you're going to turn more dirt. You're going to get more stuff out. And if you just scrape the surface with your fingernails and say, that's a lot of work, you know, then that's what you're going to get. But God invites you to dig and find all you want. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I, over the years, I've never been to Virginia, but some of those states, they have those old diamond mines, and on vacation, you can go there and pay a certain amount of money, and you can go in there and dig for three or four hours, and every now and then you find, you can get all the diamonds, all the diamonds you find, you can keep, and every now and then you find this person, you hear a story like it was worth three million dollars. I'm like, I need to go there for vacation, but you got to dig, and I don't know about you, but if I went there for vacation, they'd be like, uh, you can't, they'd be like, why are you bringing all those shovels and a pick and so, uh, just leave me alone. And other people go in there with their hands and dig a little bit like that. And they go, oh, I didn't find nothing. But man, whatever you can dig, you can get and you get to keep. And they make their money on the admission. Well, the whole thing is with us, we can dig. It's up to us. And so when he said, be content with such things as you have, don't be greedy. It's one thing a Christian should never be. No matter what you have, didn't the Bible say, if you are to be rich, in that same context about not coveting, he said, make sure that you are rich in good works and willing to give. The Lord didn't say you couldn't. He just said, be rich in good works and be rich in giving and be, be liberal in giving. Oh, I could handle that. Well, it's amazing the verses that are in there. But that being said, why can we, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll forsake you. In other words, I'll be with you and I will help you. And it's in these situations of life where you need something. Notice what he said. So that we can then boldly say, the Lord is my helper. In other words, what are we saying? The, in any situation of life, we can boldly say, Lord, you are helping me now. Remember the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God? He said, God is there, and God won't let you down, but you then, because of that, must boldly say, God is involved in my life, and he is working now. In what area? Anywhere you need help. Because he said, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or what can come my way in life? But the whole thing is, you got to know God's with you and that he's willing to help you so you can then boldly say, he's involved in my business affairs. He's helping me. He's involved in my body. He's helping me. He's involved in my mind. He's helping me. Because he's not just there. He's there to help. If we look at Jesus' life on the earth, he was willing to help in every single area. And the Bible tells us that he appeared so we could see how God was. Because so many people got so many screwy ideas about God. And he helped, and anybody who came to him, he didn't turn them away. You with me? And so we can see. Now let's go ahead and read in Luke, and I think we, we may close over here. That doesn't mean I won't quote other verses just means we'll probably close over here Luke the fourth chapter so we should boldly say the Lord's my helper what does that mean he's at work on my behalf he's working where you don't see him but eventually you will see 
So we need to boldly say, He's with me and He won't let me down. He'll see me through. He is working now. Period. Boldly. Why could you boldly say that? Because the Bible told you. He's there. He'll work. And He'll help. I mean, have you ever thought, man, I need to to move this. And there's some things you're able to move on your own. And there's other things you go, I, I just can't move that. And you call a friend. And they come and, and they help you move something that you could not have moved on your own. There's been a few things over the years I was like, I can't do this alone. I've got to call somebody. And I mean, I fooled with other things and made it work. But he said, listen, I'm there. You don't even have to call me and say, please come. All you need to do because I said I won't forsake you, is just be bold enough to just start declaring, God's working on my behalf. He's working in my job. He's working in my family. He's working in all the circumstances of my life. Are you boldly saying that? Well, obviously, nobody's boldly saying anything right now, not even amen. But we should boldly say that. We should just get up in the face of things and say, God's with me. He's helping me. He's backing me. He said he won't leave me. Therefore, God, God is working in this situation right now. Period. Because he said it. I didn't make it up. I mean, if you, know, if you had somebody with you and they said, hey, I'm a USC fighter. You know, I'm just going to hang out with you. And I heard you were going to be walking through this dark alley. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up to you and they're like, and they said they'll back you. How are you going to act? Come on, bring it on. Well, you're not expecting to throw any blows yourself, right? Are you? You're like, well, maybe after he jumps on him, but you're like, get out of my way. You're not saying get out of my way because of your own self. You're saying get out of my way because who is with you, who said they won't forsake you, and who will help you. So you can boldly say, and God will do the same thing. Notice this. Remember, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Jesus, the Bible said, is our example. Here is an interesting example. We need to dig, find the things. You know, there's a lot of verses that tell us what Christ did for you, who you are in Him, that He made you new, that He put life in you. We should boldly declare, His life's in me. He put it there when I received him. His peace is in me. He said his peace he would give to me. Therefore, I should boldly say, he's with me to make peace a reality in my life. His peace, his power. But you've got to boldly say, but if you don't know, then can you spend? This verse of scriptures or set is pretty wild. Notice here in Luke 4, 17. And he, now Jesus went into the temple here, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, Luke 4, 17. And when he had opened the book, notice this phrase, he found the place where it was written. What did Jesus do? They were given these scrolls or these portions of the books of the Bible, and they would do these public readings, and so they just gave them the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's got 60-something chapters. Jesus opens these scrolls and starts fishing through them when they didn't have chapter and verse, 
And he was able to find this place. He was so familiar with the Word that because he studied it, the Bible said he grew in this. And uh, so he found the place where it was written. We need to do that. Open the pages of the book and start finding places where things are written. Do you know he opened this book and found a place where it was written about himself? He said that he, he started reading. He found the place where it was written. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, verse 18, because he has anointed me. If somebody said God's power's on me, some people would freak out. But listen, if God said he's in you, and you would receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, then you should be able to boldly say, God's power's in me. I mean, I'm not saying it based on me or how I feel right now. I'm basing it on what he told me as a fact. And Jesus did this. He found the place. He said, the Spirit of the Lord's on me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news to the poor. What is good news to the poor? You're going to stay poor. And... Um, no, God's got something. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What did Jesus do here? What we all need to do. Search the scriptures, find... Then what did he do with what he found? He proclaimed it. He read it. He said it. But notice after it said, Then when he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and it says, All the eyes of the people in the synagogue were fixed on him. I mean, they're staring at him. He just opens it up, reads a section of Scripture. They're just staring at him, kind of like you, staring at me. I haven't closed the book yet. But they're just staring at him. And then it said, then he began to speak. We are to use the sword of the Spirit. You need to begin to speak. What did he speak? He found a scripture that was written about himself. And then he began to speak. And what did he begin to speak? He said, today... Right now, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scripture today is fulfilled in your hearing. What you're hearing is a fact about me. That's what he said. He just got up in front of all these religious people and just read this verse. He found where it was. Then he used the sword of the Spirit. He read the thing. Then, then they just stared at him. And he said, let me tell you something. What I just read, you're seeing that fulfilled right now. That's me. This is me. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? They got all goofed up in their thinking. Totally looking at it naturally. Totally looking at it after the flesh. 
What if you opened up your Bible to Ephesians, just say, and read through Ephesians again, and then you found verses that say, like we've read these in the seventh verse or the third verse, how he's, the first chapter, how he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What if you opened it up, read that, and then declared, this is fulfilled. You said it. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. What if people looked at you and thought, who does he think he is? You're just so-and-so. That's what they did to Jesus. They said, isn't he that? His parents, we know his parents. Who does he think he is? We used to eat lunch with him. And he said it's fulfilled, and they, 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 they didn't get it. What, what if you turned to Ephesians and said, you know, where it said in the first verse, it said, you know, the second chapter, it says we've been quickened or made alive together with him. What if you read that? You found where it was written and you just read. I was made alive together with Christ when I received him. Well, we already looked way back, then that means I have the very life of God in me. Zoe. So what, if, what, what should I do about that? I should boldly say, Lord, I don't feel like you're with me. No, I should boldly say, use the sword of spirit, because he said it. All I'm doing is just reading and declaring what he said is so. I have your life in me right now. I'm not demanding it of him. It's a living reality. I'm allowed to say it. He told me to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he said, use it. Get the Word out of your mouth. Notice, it's gold. I mean, you just keep reading through. It says you've been raised up. You've been made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Go down to the 10th verse. It says you are his workmanship. If you're saved, you're his workmanship. It said created in Christ Jesus in the 10th verse unto good works that you should glorify God. So if you're not living unto God the way you ought to, what are you boldly saying? Well, you know, I'm just struggling with living for God. I just struggle all the time. I just struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. You know, I went fishing one day and I caught this fish and he said, I'm so glad you caught me. I was just struggling swimming. I was struggling, struggling, struggling. I was down there going, you caught me. I feel so much better. That's lame. <clears throat> because a fish is created to swim. It would never boldly say, I'm glad you caught me because I was having a tough time. You know how hard it is to filter water through and get oxygen out of it through your gills? I'm so glad I'm dead meat now. No. But how many people are boldly not saying they have the life of God that they were quickened or made alive together with Him? And, and not saying I was created. <clears throat> if a fish was created to swim and you were created unto good works, your inward parts that were made brand new, you need to take the sword of the Spirit and start boldly saying, I'm created to do good things. What will happen is the life of God will rise up out of your spirit and begin to dominate your thinking, and then you won't struggle with, oh, it's just so hard to walk with God. You'll notice people who walk with God have a bold confession. I love God. I serve Him. I'll just keep serving Him. People who struggle, talk struggle, because they're not boldly saying, because the Lord is present and ready to help, and He said, take these things and declare it. So I can say, I was recreated in Christ unto good works. 
That's just my natural way inwardly is good works. That doesn't mean, you know, oh, I got to go help somebody across the street, you know. But it's just to work and to serve Him and to live for Him. Us created that way. You go through the whole book of Ephesians and dig, start saying it, and it'll make that life that's in you rise up and dominate all that other stuff that's told you, well, no, it's just so hard to live as a Christian today. Is it really? How many people are boldly saying the wrong thing? Quit it. If you've got the life inside of you and you were created a certain way, boldly start saying, God's helping me. He's working from the inside out. He put something in me that's bigger than the whole world. God's so big, he said he'd fold up the whole world when he comes back and it'll be burned and changed. But me, I'm recreating him. I last forever. This ain't some fad. I've got the life that he's got. He said his power works in me. You know, we all know Ephesians 3.20. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Right? Actually, that's not there. That's Philippians, the second chapter. Ephesians 3.20 said that he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask according to his power that works in us. We should start saying, God's power is working in me. When I go to church, I get good stuff. Why? Because you're releasing that, your faith, and all of a sudden you'll start going, man, I did get some good stuff today. Did you get some good stuff? I got some good stuff. What will happen is you'll just start talking about it, and you'll find out, man, I get so much good stuff. It's, it's almost not funny, but it is funny. What are you boldly saying? Use the sword of the Spirit and boldly say, and you'll be spending the gold that God has provided.